You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. The 17th chapter of Genesis, because we're going to be dealing with uh, an interesting topic tonight. And I want to, the, the thought I want to give you tonight, as you may see up there on the screen, is the Almighty God. For the all needy, the almighty for the all needy. And uh, we'll see more about what that means, hopefully, in just a moment. Colossians 2, as well as Genesis chapter number 17. And I think I'll try to mark my place there. All right. Um, Colossians 2, verse number 11. The Bible says... In whom also, so we're still emphasizing Jesus Christ and his work, but the Bible says, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now that may be news to some of you. You are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Uh, Now, I said that may be news to some of you. I wonder how many of you that's news to. You have been circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. And so we're going to see what that means tonight. And so if you would, go over to the book of Genesis, chapter number 17. We're going to discuss an ancient Jewish ritual that has very, very real implications to your life today. The Old Testament believer had his faith supported and sustained by a whole catalog of rituals. Uh, They had a priesthood that was clothed in rich vestments and, you know, had the family tradition going through the Levites. They had endless sacrifices. They had special days. They had annual feasts special diets and ceremonies and ritual, all of which revolved around a glorious temple. They were a very earthly people, if you will. All of this was divinely inspired by God. And I emphasize that because when we transition into the New Testament, it's important to understand some of the difficulties that Jewish believers had in leaving a lot of this stuff behind because these things were divinely inspired. But they all had a deeper spiritual and typological meaning. It all pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the great and fun things about the Old Testament, one of the great things about the Word of God is, man, if you, when you open up your Bible, start looking for Jesus, amen? Because you'll find Him there. You'll find Him in the prophets. You'll find Him in the poets. You'll find Him uh, throughout. Uh, you'll find Him there in the Pentateuch. He is there, amen. It is all a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. It all points to Jesus Christ. And it was all fulfilled in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, God made a very bold statement when Jesus Christ cried, It is finished, and He gave up the ghost. The Bible says God rent the temple or rent the veil of the temple from top to the bottom. The moment that, and what God was signifying is this time for a new covenant. Time for a new covenant. 
And so these things were fulfilled with Christ. And so, since Christ fulfilled these, the Old Testament rituals became obsolete. Now, the Old Testament covenants aren't obsolete necessarily, but when it comes to salvation and our relationship with God, the new covenant that was prophesied, by the way, in the Old Testament... Uh, was now presented through the Lord Jesus Christ, the New Testament or the New Covenant. See, the Old Testament was a picture book in a sense, a, 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 a picture book w- w- with very significant and rich source, but it, what it is is it's an, it helps to illustrate New Testament truth. And so I've got this picture book, the Action Bible, And this is a great thing to have for kids or grandkids, you know, so they can uh, look and see pictures and uh, go through. And in in essence, the Old Testament, and this isn't minimalizing the Old Testament, but in a very real way, the Old Testament gives us great illustrations of New Testament truth. So that's an important thing to understand. And so we go to the Old Testament again and again. We see pictures. And Jesus preached about these pictures. He said, I'm the bread of life. What was he reminding them of when he said, I'm the bread of life? The manna. He said, I'm the manna that came down from heaven. I mean, just on and on. I'm that rock. I'm the rock that was in the wilderness. He's, he's saying that throughout the Old Testament, I'm the one. He's the branch. He's, uh, you know, he's the rod of Jesse. Just on and on it goes. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, included in all of these rites and rituals was the ritual of circumcision. Now, you say, preacher, how does circumcision relate to me and my life today? Well, by the time we're done with this, I want to show you how it does matter in the way you live your life every day as far as the principle that God's trying to teach. Again, Colossians 2 verse 11, ye are circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. And again, I understand if you're sitting there like, uh, but understand as you very well may that we're talking about a spiritual circumcision. But in order to understand what he's trying to illustrate in Colossians chapter 2, we need to understand what the Old Testament rite of circumcision was really all about. Circumcision, it's interesting. I, I looked this up. 80 total times in the Bible, you find the word circumcised, whether it's circumcision, circumcised, or uh, you know, in some form or another. 80 total times. But it surprised me that 53 of these times was in the New Testament. 53 of the 80 were in the New Testament. And then if you add to that the 14 times in the New Testament, only time the word uncircumcised is used is in the New Testament, it's used 14 times. So basically for every one time the word circumcision is used in the Old Testament, it's used almost two and a half times in the New Testament. So just kind of interesting perspective there. Now, the Lord uses this to illustrate a New Testament truth. So to understand this, we're going to head back to the storybook, amen? We're going to go back to the picture book that God gives us here in the book of Genesis, chapter number 17. Now, why would I go back to Genesis, chapter number 17? Well, there's an important reason, and here it is. I go back to Genesis, chapter number 17, and I want every one of you to mark this down in your minds. Maybe you want to write it down. And it is this, because we find the first mention the first mention of circumcision in Genesis 17. The reason I'm pausing to emphasize that is that 
there's a principle in Bible study, there's quite a few that we talk about. Among these is what's called the first mention principle. If you're studying any particular subject in your Bible, if you have a particular interest today, a particular question, go try to find the place it is mentioned first in the Bible. See, the first mention principle is a great Bible study tool. If you go back to the first time it's mentioned, the truth, it, the way it stands, will be connected forever with the mind of God. So if you want to know what God thinks about a particular subject, go back to the first mention and you'll get an idea of how it's dealt with the very first time that it's mentioned. And also, the first mention of a subject provides the foundation for that matter and it will give it substance that is then carried out through the entire Bible. So there's, there's the first mention principle, which we're going to emphasize tonight. But just so you can get an idea how these go, you've got the first mention principle. You've got the further mention principle. So you, you read on, you find the first time it's mentioned, then you can, you can find more as obviously you would want to find every time it's mentioned. So the further mention principle. And then you'll oftentimes find the full mention principle. For instance, the full mention you will find of on, say, resurrection. Anybody know where you'll find the full mention of resurrection? 1 Corinthians 15. Full mention. Not first mention, but full mention. It just goes into depth to talk about the ins and outs of what resurrection is. But tonight we're going to do a little bit about the first mention, and I just want to give you a couple examples, because I hope tonight, that if you're saved by God's grace, you have a desire to learn the Word of God. And this is just a good tool for doing that. Uh, you know, if, if you're studying and, and if you're trying to learn more about temptation, anybody ever struggle with temptation? Anybody ever tempted in here? A couple of us are. Uh, but no, we all are. We all, we all fight our temptation. But we, I've mentioned this. We just came out of mentioning this a lot. And I do mention it a lot uh, because it's something we see repeated over and over again. But when we talk about the work of Satan and temptation, where do we go back to? The first time we find temptation is where? Garden of Eden. And we talk about it a lot, but you just go through those principles of temptation and trying to turn you against God. It's like the same thing every time. You find a lot when you go back to the first mention principle. The first promise given of the seed of woman, the, the Lord Jesus Christ coming to destroy uh, the works of Satan is in Genesis 3.15. That's the first mention. And what you find there is that there's going to be enmity between when God tells Satan that the seed of woman is going to destroy you, you're going to hurt his heel, but he's going to bust your head open. There's going to be a fight. Well, guess what you find for the rest of the Bible? There's enmity. There's Satan. There's people fighting against the Jews. Does that still go on? I believe it does still go on. Are people still against the Jews? Do people still want to annihilate the Jews? There's literally people still, and there always have been, that want to wipe the Jewish. Folks, that's satanically fueled. One more I'll mention here in the mention of first principle, then we'll get back into our study tonight, is... Uh, that of alcohol and drunkenness. This is a subject that came up in the teen Sunday school class on Sunday. So as I was thinking about this, I thought, I want to talk, I want to look at the first mention of the very first time wine is mentioned in the Bible and the very first time that drunk or drunkenness is mentioned in the Bible is both in the same verse. And it's Genesis chapter 9, verse 21. Speaking of Noah, the Bible says, And he drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. 
So the very first time that you find wine or alcohol of any sort mentioned and drunken, somebody's getting naked. Uh, I'm just telling you what the, what's going on. He's uncovered. Uh, the very first time you find wine and drunk in the Bible, somebody's losing control. The very first time you find wine and drunken in the Bible, you find immorality and you find a curse. Kind of interesting, isn't it? And I'm not saying that every time that alcohol is mentioned or wine is mentioned, those are mentioned. But it's interesting that you can find out something. So I just thought I'd throw that in there for the Sunday school class. But okay, Genesis 17, God is renewing the Abrahamic covenant. Can anybody tell me what the Abrahamic covenant deals with primarily? Or you just guesses on the, the, the Abrahamic covenant. When I say the Abrahamic covenant, does anything come to your minds, Bible students? Build a nation. What else is out here, Ralph? Okay, so, yeah, so similar thing. Seed being multiplied, building the nation. Um, what is one of the emphases there? You're right, because the very first thing he says is, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. But then he tells Abraham to go for a walk, right? And what does he tell Abraham about this walk? Every place where the sole of your, your feet touches, that's going to be your land. And basically, it was between the Nile and the Euphrates. It was a promise. The Abrahamic covenant is a promise of the land uh, being the Jews. It's not Palestine, amen. It's the Jews' land. It's God's land that he promised them. And so uh, that's what the Abrahamic covenant basically is. And folks, um, the Abrahamic covenant, God's not done with that. That's why, that's one of the reasons why the Jews, when, we, when Jesus Christ has his thousand-year millennial reign, the Davidic covenant will be fulfilled during that time because they will have their king ruling the earth. So the Davidic covenant, which Davidic is David, the, the covenant with David to have a king, that's going to be fulfilled in the thousand years that Christ reigns on this literal earth. And what will also be fulfilled is God's earthly people, the Jews, will also, the, the Abrahamic covenant will be fulfilled as they inherit the earth during that time. And I encourage you to study more about those. I'm not going in, in depth about those particular covenants. Well, let's just take a quick walk, shall we? through these passages to get you up to Genesis chapter number 17. Let's start real quickly in Genesis chapter 12. God calls, and you don't have to turn there because all I'm doing is giving you a quick, quick summary. God calls 75-year-old Abraham and makes him a promise. Is anybody too old to do something for God in here, by the way? God calls 75-year-old Abraham. That's the first time that God says, Okay, Abraham, got something for you to do, buddy. There he was, 75 years old. He, and he made him a promise that he was going to make a nation out of him. In Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham, that, and he tells him that he will give him a son and that his son will become a mighty nation. He promises him the land from the Nile to the Euphrates. This is known again as the Abrahamic covenant. In Genesis 16, Abraham is now in his mid-80s. In fact, he's around that 85, 86, 86, 87 range. So he's in his mid-80s. Sarah is in her mid-70s. And here's the problem. When God promises you something, it ain't necessarily coming true tomorrow, okay? Because at 75, he says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Here's Abraham now about 87 years old. And his wife is 75, 76 years old, somewhere in that range. And all of a sudden, they still hadn't had a son yet. Not one. 
So this is where Sarah gets a great idea and Abraham gets a, uh, thinks it's a pretty good idea too. Uh, I can't help but get a little amused by that sometimes, but uh, they don't have a son. So they acted in the energy of the flesh and they figured they would help God by giving. Uh, so uh, Sarah... God told them not to go down in Egypt, by the way. And they left Egypt, but they didn't leave there alone. It's just interesting when you think about things, a whole other message. But Hagar came out with them. And Hagar was the one that, that, that Sarah said, Hey, this is my servant. Would you, well, maybe you could marry her and have a child with her. And I just always get this picture of this pretty younger Egyptian woman and Abraham saying, Okay, you know, uh, forgive me. I just see it that way, but... Uh, but maybe he was just all sanctimonious and trying to be spiritual about it. But the fact of the matter is that's what they did. Now, Genesis 17 uh, is where I want to get you to here and try to get you through this uh, quickly. But I, I wanna, I, I'm going to end this. Believe it or not, I don't care if you're a teenage girl or I don't care if you're an older man or wherever you are, anywhere in between. Anna, for you, this message matters. Amen. I mean, it matters for all of you. And you may not see it yet, but just bear with me, okay? And I want to try to get you there. So if we're going to get from Genesis 17 to you, okay? But here's where it starts. Genesis chapter number 17, verse number 1. The Lord breaks 13 years of silence following the Hagar debacle with these words. And when Abram, and notice that, I've been calling him Abraham, but he's not Abraham yet. And I've been calling Sarah, Sarah, but she's not Sarah yet. She's Sarai, and he's Abram. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, 99, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, and I wish you would mark this, highlight it, underline it, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. I am the Almighty God. This is the first time in the Bible that we find something else. This is the first time, and it's no coincidence, that we find this. This is going to be important later when it comes to your life, when it comes to your day at school tomorrow, when it comes to you as a dad at home later, or a mom, or whatever the case may be. This is the key part of this. I am the, the Mighty God. That's the name El Shaddai. I'm the Almighty God. That's how the first time he appears to Abraham, this is the first time he appears to anyone as the Almighty God, the All-Powerful One. And what he's trying to say is this. We talked a little bit about power on Sunday, the power of Jesus Christ. We think of power as strength, but there's another thing that comes with God's strength, and it's a, it's a word that we use Sunday. You remember what it is? It's the word authority. Authority. He's got strength. He's got authority. If he says it's going to be so, see, because here's the key thing. Remember, God's talking to this older couple, and he says to them, by the way, through my years of pastoring, I've learned not to call people old. They're older, okay? Uh, they're older. Or they're seniors. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> I think Michael still calls me old. But... The thing I'm trying to say is simply this. They were an older couple. God said, you're going to have a son. Again, remember, that started this when, when Abraham was 75. It goes until he's in his mid-80s. And then in his mid-80s, mid to late 80s, is when finally Sarah's like, dude, look. For one thing, Sarah was barren. She was never able to have children, even when she was young. 
and now she is old, so things probably aren't going to change here. So Sarah says, well, hey, how about Hagar? She can have children. Why don't you try to have a child with her? Maybe that'll be the way that God, maybe that'll be the way that God works this out. See, God don't, so that's what they do. Why? Because, well, this, obviously, we're an older couple. Older couples like us don't have babies, especially when I've been barren my whole life, never been able to have children. We, they, no, no doubt they tried for, I bet up until the time that Abraham called them, they had been trying and trying and praying and praying and looking for a child. Because believe me, uh, that's important to, to women today, but it was of utmost vital importance uh, in this culture. But never was she able to do it. Here's the point. I'm the Almighty God. And when I say I'm Almighty, and when I say I'm all-powerful, that means that I can work in your impossible situation. And I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but it also means I don't need your help. And I don't need you telling me what you can't do. And I don't need you telling me that this ain't going to work out. I'm the Almighty God, all right? So I'm the Almighty God, he says, El Shaddai. Now drop all the way down to verse number 11, and I know you're anxious to get talking about circumcision again. Verse number 11, the Bible says, And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. I want to emphasize the word token there. Token. Alright, so this is the very first time that circumcision is mentioned. Now let's look at it quickly through this chapter. Number one, let's look at the implications of circumcision. Circumcision is, number one, a supporting sign. Just like covenants today are often affixed with a, a legal seal, this was the seal of a covenant. Now, a legal seal without a document a legal document it's kind of pointless isn't it can you imagine somebody going around can you imagine going to a lawyer or maybe even just to a notary public and you go to them with a blank piece of paper and you say hey i'd like to get a legal seal put on here and they stamp the seal i think they'd say well what are we uh, what are we stamping here what 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 am i sealing here that's what circumcision was. It was a token. It was a seal. It was simply a seal or a token of a covenant that had already taken place. Because Abraham has already believed God. It has already been accounted unto Abraham as righteousness. And then the, the rite of circumcision is just something that's added to that later on. It kind of reminds me of baptism in, in a lot of ways. Um, but, uh, but I'll go on. So number one, it was a supporting sign. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 4, verse 11. And he, speaking of Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, listen, a seal of the righteousness of the faith. So it was a supporting sign, number one. Number two, it was a spiritual symbol. It was a spiritual symbol intended to teach Abraham a vital lesson. Now, as I've already shared with you, Abraham and Sarah had a great idea to help out God. Now, after Abraham decided that I got a better idea, I will go into uh, Hagar and I'll have a child with her. I believe they're connected, but it could be debatable. God did not appear to Abraham for another 13 years between that time and chapter number 17. See, and God, though, I want to say thank God, God in grace is still showing up. 
But it was circum- circumcision was basically, in a sense, this was the solution to the problem of Abraham trusting in his own way. Circumcision was the sentence of death in his flesh. And what it was is it was a symbol of Christ cutting right across all that he was by natural birth. It was a sharp, unforgettable, painful admission that he was unable to produce. Listen to this. He was able to produce Ishmael with Hagar. But he's unable to produce what God, that which only God can produce. He's unable to produce the type of life that God expected, and that was to come through the womb of Sarah. So circumcision was teaching him, Abraham, this is not about your strength. This is not about your ability to be fruitful. It's about my ability to work a miracle. And I'm going to teach you this through the rite of circumcision. It was an agonizing realization that only through Christ can a person really bear fruit for God. And so you can see we're trying to get over into the type, where the, the picture here. So we see the implications of circumcision quickly, the implementation of circumcision. Um, verse number 12, the Bible says, He that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations, he that's born in the house, bought with money, the stranger, and so forth it goes. So who's going to be circumcised? Well, for one thing, Abraham, God told Abraham from this day forward, those that are born, this is, this is, understand this too, this is strictly for the Jews, and that's the point in the New Testament. Every Jewish boy that's born, and by the way, Abraham was the first Jew. There wasn't a Jew before then, or the first Hebrew, I should say. Jew actually comes after the name of Judah. Uh, but he was the first Hebrew uh, ever. That's why, that's why, by the way, Isaac was able to marry his cousin uh, and, and her not be a Jew. She was a Gentile, but that's a whole nother story that we'll, we'll talk about marrying cousins later, okay? Circumcision today, marrying cousins later. Um, but from this day forward, uh, Jewish boys that were born, Hebrew boys that were born were to be circumcised on the eighth day. Or converts, first people looking with cringy faces, there's converts also were to, if, if somebody converted to Judaism, uh, they would have to be circumcised, or they do have to be circumcised. Um, and by the way, Abraham, as a 99-year-old man, in this case, also follows through with circumcision in this chapter. So, uh, so, so what we see is the, the, uh, the, the carrying out of it, the, uh, the initiating of it. Now, the number eight, just bear with me, okay? The number eight is, six, is a significant number, and it's the number, numbers matter in the Bible. If you ever wonder why you see numbers repeated in the Bible, numbers matter in the Bible. And understand, there's people that can go way crazy far on this, okay, uh, and, and too far. But I'm just saying there's some obvious things in the Bible about numerology. And eight is the number, number one, it's the number of resurrection, but it's also the number of a new beginning. You know, you think about it, there's seven days in a week. What's the, what's the eighth day? Well, we call, it the next, we call it the first day of a new week, but it's the eighth day. It's a number of a new beginning. It's the number of resurrection. Um, in Israel, a child was born, lived a full week. Then on the eighth day, which was again the beginning of, the, of a new week, he was circumcised. So it was a symbolic way of bringing the child under the Abrahamic covenant. But it did not automatic, automatically make him a child of God. I want to tell you something else interesting about the eighth day. 
You can fact check me on this. The human body has two blood clotting elements. One of them is called vitamin K. Vitamin K is not formed, uh, formed in the body up until the fifth to the seventh day. The second clotting factor, which is essential, is called uh, prothrombin. It surprisingly enough develops 30% of normal by the third day of life. After that, on the eighth day, this second clotting agent peaks at 110% on the eighth day. Just before leveling off at 100% normal after that. And that's when God said to circumcise. Uh, Do you think God knew that when He said circumcise on the eighth day? Just kind of an interesting thing. But I want to say, notice quickly the importance, uh, just in case I'm losing anybody. Uh, the importance, Genesis 17, 14, uh, I'm not even going to read it, but basically it just goes on to say, if, if there's a man that's not circumcised, he's out, man. He's not a part of this covenant. Um, but here's something interesting. Genesis 17, 25, the Bible says, And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. He was 13. But here's a lesson that God's trying to teach. Everything, so much about we can learn about circumcision right here in chapter number 17 and the symbolism of it. Circumcision did nothing to change Ishmael's heart. By the way, 13 is a number of rebellion. It's the number of rebellion. It did, Ishmael was circumcised, but it did not change his heart. And it's just a picture to show that there's no rite, there's no ritual that can change a person's heart. Any outward expression of faith is supposed to be of something that we've already done. Just like baptism. We, we follow the Lord in baptism not so that we can add to our salvation or seal our salvation or anything like that. It's just saying, no, I have put my faith and trust in the death, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and I publicly uh, acknowledge that. And so that's kind of the, the, you know, an, an example of that. But see, from the very beginning, God was not meaning this just to be something of the flesh. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, the Lord said, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. Be no more stiff-necked. So what He was saying is, you need a circumcision in your heart. Three times... Uh, twice in Deuteronomy and once in Jeremiah, God says, you need a circumcision of the heart. The verse that we're about to close with tonight is the verse that we started with that's saying you have been circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. And we're going to see what that means in just a moment, but it's a circumcision of the heart. Now, in Colossians 2, the reason, and you can turn back over there if you'd like to, the reason that Paul is addressing circumcision here. If you go back to the early days of the church, it had to be established among the Jewish leaders, that among the converted Jewish leaders, that the church was founded on the new covenant, not on the Abrahamic covenant, not on the old covenant. So in in, in Acts chapter number 15, they got together because remember, all these things that, that were fulfilled in Christ were started by Christ. It was God who said, we're going to do these things. Now God said, okay, we're not doing them anymore. 
The, temple, the temple's null and obsolete. I'm tearing the veil. You know, we're done with circumcision. We're done with all these other things. So in Genesis 15, or in Acts 15, they had to get together and discuss these things, work these things out. It's worked out through the book of Galatians. It's worked out through the book of Hebrews. But now this cult, these false teachers in Colossae, are trying to bring this back up again. And they're trying to bring in the right, if you will, of circumcision. And it's a legalistic thing is what it is. It's just trying to add something to what Christ did. Now, all that to bring into this interpretation, okay? Let's read verse 11 again of Colossians 2. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Notice this. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Okay. Understand this, that in Christ, the physical is replaced with the spiritual. These are some things you really need to understand. It's really important to understand this real distinction about, uh, the Bible talks about these three distinctions of peoples, if you will, the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church of God. When you're studying the Bible, and I'm trying to tell you some stuff that will help you in your Bible study, by the way, help you to rightly divide the word of truth, help you to uh, learn something in the Bible, and this is one of them, is a passage talking to the Jews, the Gentiles, or to the church of God. And when it comes to the Jews, one thing to remember about the Jews, God said, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you a temple. I'm going to give you an earthly king. I'm going to bless you physically. I'm going to bless you financially. This is what he did in the Old Testament. You could just about look and see many of the people that were blessed in the Old Testament it were, was experiencing a lot of wealth. You get to the New Testament, what began to happen? Man, some of the great heroes in the New Testament, man, they didn't even have a home like the Apostle Paul. He was in prison. He was, he was sleeping out wherever he could uh, to try to accomplish something for God. The point is this. Jewish people in the Bible, for the most part, were an earthly people with earthly promises. I say that because there's a lot of people today that can take you to some promises in the Old Testament. Look, it is God's will for you to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. If you're right with God, if you have enough faith, you're going to be healthy. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be prosperous. And here's the thing, they can find some verses to back that up. The problem is those verses are taken out of context. See, we are not an earthly people with earthly promises. We are an earthly people, but we're a spiritual people with spiritual promises. And that goes to, to by the way, remember the church isn't just made up of Gentiles. I mentioned Gentiles, that's the unconverted that aren't Jews. But the Jews that are in the church, same way. The Jews that get saved by the grace of God, they also, same thing. They're in the new covenant. They're a part of the church of God now. So the simple point is this. We are a spiritual people with spiritual blessings. We aren't promised health and wealth and prosperity. And I wish this health, wealth, and prosperity, I'd like to see this health, wealth, and prosperity go preach this to our brothers and sisters over in the Middle East and in Africa and in in China and in North Korea. Uh, Listen, it's a bunch of garbage and it's a bunch of hogwash. Um, I mean, God, God very well may bless us physically and, uh, and, and, phys- and, and financially and the whole thing. And that's all well and good. And, and, and we don't need to be ashamed of that. We can be thankful for that. But there's no promise of that. We are spiritual people with spiritual blessings. But so in Christ, the physical is replaced by the spiritual. 
The ritual is replaced with reality. The pictorial is replaced by the actual. In Christ, we have a spiritual circumcision. So I'm I'm trying to bring this full circle. If you're saved, you have experience and a spiritual circumcision. This is expressed in Colossians 2a, once again, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. He says, we're not talking physical here. This doesn't just apply to males. It applies to everyone because it's a spiritual application. There was this physical thing that was used to try to teach you a spiritual lesson that applies to you right now. So it's it's expressed in Colossians 2 verse, uh, chapter 2, 11 verse, uh, the, the first part of the verse 11a. It is further explained in 11b. So what does it mean to you? Here's what it is. Circumcision made without hands, and listen, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Putting off the body of sins of the flesh means to be rendered inoperative. And here's just the thing. Here's the lesson why it matters to you tonight. When you, if you are saved, when you got saved by the grace of God, Jesus cut and separated the power and the authority of our old nature and the old sinful nature from us. Now, we still have the old sinful nature, but the point is, is it no longer has authority over us. It no longer has the power. You remember what the Bible teaches in uh, Romans chapter number 6? Romans chapter number 7? It says, to whom you yield your uh, members, to him, that's whose servant you are. So in other words... We have a choice whether or not, if we are dominated by sin today, if you're dominated by sin, it's because you've yielded to it. Because when you got saved, Jesus cut that connection. He severed that power over your life. So in Christ, the believer sheds the whole body of carnal affection, lust, self-effort, and reliance on the flesh. This doesn't happen through ceremony, but it happens through the cross. And the putting off there, it's like the picture of somebody taking off a coat and not putting it back on again. Ephesians, and by the way, this principle is repeated over and over and over again. This would be a great sit-down Bible study, this part of it, because it's repeated over and over again. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1. You know, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were, and I'm interrupting myself so I can't quote the rest of it. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, and, and, and you were by nature the children of wrath. Oh man, they're putting it up there. Uh, I could just read it, I guess. But the point I'm just simply trying to make is God saying, but, but now, but God who is rich in mercy, in verse number four, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, hath quickened us together, made us alive, he severed, he separated it. You remember, being under the, oh, you remember being under the complete control of sin? No more. As a child of God, you do not. The Bible says sin shall not have dominion over you. Now, we can yield to sin. We still have the old nature, but it's just saying that just like circumcision, Christ has cut it to where it no longer has power. And therefore, you want to know something else, by the way? We don't have an excuse. 
for just living some sinful life. I just can't help myself. Well, if you can't help yourself, you might need to get saved. Amen? Because if you're saved, well, you might not be able to help yourself. But I'm telling you, we got, remember this? We got El Shaddai. We got El Shaddai. The whole thing started with, I'm the Almighty God. So He can help you. He can empower you. He can enable you. He can overcome addiction. He can overcome a filthy mouth. He can overcome a filthy mind. We've got to be willing to yield, though, of course, and, 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 and choose carefully what we're taking into our eyes and our ears. But here's the thing. What the knife did ritualistically in circumcision and in, the, and, and in, a, in picture form, the cross does for us in reality. The body of flesh there means the body as controlled by the flesh is put off. So here I'm closing with this. Two main takeaways. I've already said one. One takeaway of our, what your spiritual circumcision means is this. That, that it no longer dominates me and that I might not depend upon it anymore. So there's good news that we can say that I don't have to be dominated by my old sinful flesh anymore. I can serve notice that according to the Word of God, no, you do not have power over me. Sin does not have power over me. Satan does not have power over me. You know, we need to make the choice not to let other people have power over us either. Amen. I, I, that's a whole other topic. Uh, there's a few things I'll say about that. But you know one of, the, one of, the, one of the, 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 big, the biggest and easiest ways to get your shackles, get yourself in shackles to someone else? I bet somebody knows what it is. It's unforgiveness. It's unforgiveness, but that's a whole other story. Uh, it, it, but, but what I'm just simply trying to say is because of Christ, what, our two takeaways is this, that no longer does it dominate me, but it also means that I don't need to depend on myself anymore, which is good news because of El Shaddai. And I was sharing this with the Treyu right before we started church. Man, God was giving me some great stuff out of Genesis 17, a whole other message that I'm not preaching, don't worry, as I was studying this. But I was just reminded of something. Remember? Abraham's problem was, God said, okay, old man. See, God said it, not me. God said, okay, old man. You and that uh, 80-something-year-old woman right there, that's, that's, that's who I'm going to use to bring a son into the world. Because God sometimes says, here's what I'm going to do in your life. Here's how I'm going to work in your life. See, because we want it to be something more obvious. I mean, Abraham's sitting there thinking, well, God, couldn't you have showed up like 50 years ago? But God doesn't show up 50 years ago. He shows up right on time. And He's trying to teach Abraham something. It ain't about you. Remember? El Shaddai. I'm the mighty God. I'm the mighty God. So whatever it is that God says He's going to do or will do through your life, guess what? You may look at yourself. I look at myself. I share with you all the times how I've got these dreams and these visions of great things God's going to do. And praise God, I've seen God do a lot of them already. But man, I've got a thousand more. But I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I get a little, get a little overwhelmed. And sometimes I get reminded of who I am. Y'all know who I am. And I get reminded of who I am. And I'm thinking, dude, what are you thinking? You know, you can barely, you can barely remember your right from your left. You know, you can barely remember what day it is. You don't even know what time it is. And you're going to do these great things for God. And I start thinking, what am I thinking? But then God reminds me what I'm thinking. You know what I'm thinking? He's Almighty God, amen? 
And so it's not about me. See, that's one of the great things. That, this is why this matters to you at school tomorrow. The circumcision in Christ just simply means that your flesh, your old nature, doesn't dominate you, and you don't have to depend on it. You don't have to say, like Abraham and Sarah, and they're saying, well, how are we going to do this? We've been trying forever. But you know what's cool? We talked about the lame man on Sunday. I bet forever he'd been trying to stand up and walk. But when God says to do it, His Word gives power to do it. Amen? So, so, so we, we just must believe and yield, humble yourself, and listen, remember your need for El Shaddai. Don't get overly discouraged when you're reminded of your weaknesses and your failures. Be encouraged, understanding that God, that you have the Almighty God before you. I like this. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 21, that's the same context that we're talking about with circumcision and Abraham. The Bible says this, and I hope this can be every one of us, Romans 4, 21, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, He had promised, He was able also to perform. That needs to be the way we live our lives every day. Before you go to bed tonight, you need to turn your burdens over to the Lord and say, you know what, God promised me some things. I've got some, He promised not to let never me nor forsake me. He promised that He'll take me up. He promised that He loves me. You know what? I'm fully persuaded in that. He, he, he's promised me that He will, you know, enable me to do whatever He would have me to do. I can do all things through Christ. He's promised me that I'm a conqueror. I'm fully persuaded. That's the way you can go through life because of the circumcision of Christ. Now, we don't ever have to call it that again. But what I'm just simply trying to tell you is that's what's being emphasized is the power that we have for salvation. It's not about our works and for sanctification and service. It's not the power, the, the illustration of circumcision, it's not the power or the energy of the flesh, but of Christ. And you know one of the cool things, and look at me, I close my Bible and I'm done. Uh... There's something else I mentioned earlier God does in this chapter, but He changes the names of Abraham and Sarah. They got new identities. Amen? You know what circumcision in Christ did for us too? It gave us a new identity. Amen? It gave us a new identity in who we are. Man, ain't that good? Uh, I mean, I'm Christian now. I mean, I'm saved. I'm conqueror. I'm beloved now. I mean, I, I mean you think about the things that we are. I mean, I am, I, I'm His. And he is mine. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a pilgrim. I'm a stranger. We could go on and on. I've got, I'm, I'm somebody else now. I've got a new identity. Amen? So that's what it means, and that's why it matters to you. Amen? Well, hey, I thank you for your patience and y'all helping me through that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much.